Good morning, everyone. A couple of programming notes uh, before we begin this morning. Um, uh, just so you know, my wife Sharon and I are going to be traveling the next couple of Sundays. Uh, before I had the opportunity to preach here at Oak Crest, my wife and I had made some pretty significant commitments to make an epic trip out to the West Coast, where we both come from. And so we're going to be visiting family out there, and uh, I promise to think of you and pray for you often as I am in the 70 degree weather in mountains and rivers <laughs> and snow-capped mountains. But in all seriousness, uh, you will be missed. Uh, in my inter- during the time I'm gone, uh, Dwight and a couple of others are going to be preaching, so you will be blessed either way. And uh, try not to hate me too much for going to the West Coast. So, one of the great things about being a teacher is I get to meet students from all over the place, and they tell me their stories, and I get to know them, and it's incredibly enlightening. In fact, it's as much of an education for me to get to know them as it is for them to come to the university where I teach up the road at Oklahoma Christian. And so, being a teacher for over 33 years, I've met a lot of different students with a lot of different stories, but one of them stands out. Um, I had invited several students over to my house for dinner one night, and uh, my dog was running around. At that point in time, we had this purebred black Labrador that someone from church gave us as a used dog and said, this dog has a lot of personality. You'll love him. Fine, fair enough. Well, one of the students that came to dinner that night was Samah. Now, Samah came from a little town called Betzahor. You know it as Bethlehem. Not Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, that Bethlehem, the one in what is now the nation of Israel. Samah was actually Palestinian. She was neither Arab nor Israeli. She's Palestinian, which means she comes from a people who were living in what is now Israel before the state of Israel was created in 1948. And so Samah came to my house and she saw this 70-pound purebred black Labrador bounding around my house. And she said, that's disgusting. Now, believe me, sometimes I thought that dog was disgusting. (laughs) But she could not believe that my wife and I allowed a dog to live inside of our home. The dog would lick people sometimes. The dog would sleep over in the kitchen. The dog had a food dish and a water dish right at the end of the kitchen. And she just thought that was the most disgusting thing in the entire world. Because where she comes from, in Betzahor... That's not what is done. Dogs are considered to be animals that live on the outside if they are domesticated pets at all. I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. And so I quickly put the dog outside. (laughs) But here's the point of all that. The point of all that is that Sama saw the fact that a dog is living inside a home completely differently than I did. And don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those over-the-top dog owners. You know the -the over-the-top dog owners whose dogs sleep with them in their bed and they go to Dairy Queen and buy an ice cream cone for them and for their dog. They send their dogs to doggy daycare and things like that. I have no problem if you want to do that. That's just not the way I see dogs. Sama, on the other hand, saw it completely differently than I did. And as I reflected on that, I came to realize it's because Sama and I share something in common. And in fact, we all share it in common. It's called a standpoint. A standpoint is simply how your own experiences, your own predispositions cause you to understand the world around you. 
You see, Samah's standpoint was dogs are not domesticated pets. Dogs don't live inside the house. Dogs stay outside. I, on the other hand, come from a very different standpoint. Our culture is one. My own experiences with a dog growing up was such that a dog is fine in the house. And so her standpoint and my standpoint led to a completely different understanding of dogs in the house. Now, some of that's cultural, you know, her culture there in the state of Israel is very different than our culture here in America, but some of it's your own experiences. So, as you may or may not know, I was raised in Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, if you've ever been there, is a desert. It gets hot in Arizona. So I grew up in the summertime when it was well over 100 degrees on a regular basis. And so when it was so hot here in Oklahoma City last week, people were like, oh, it's 98 degrees, I'm dying. Oh, it's 100 degrees, I'm dying. I looked at them and said, look, I'm from Phoenix. We call this winter. <laughs> Unless it gets over about 110, nobody in Phoenix whines except the people that are newly moving to Phoenix. And then we just kind of say, deal with it. You see, my experience of heat is just different than many other people's experience of heat. It's not that one is right and one is wrong, though mine is superior. Instead, I'm kidding, mostly. But what I mean by that is your standpoint affects the way you see things in ways that you're not even aware of. And you see this in the Bible as well. So, for example, in the Gospel of Mark, there's a very short story that illustrates how Jesus and everybody else has standpoints. So as you see on the slide here, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus goes into the synagogue and he encounters a man with a shriveled hand. So people were hanging around that synagogue looking for a reason to accuse Jesus because he had already done some things that had upset the establishment, okay? And so they're trying to figure out if Jesus is going to heal this guy with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath. Now, as you probably know, you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. You're supposed to keep it holy. You're supposed to rest. And they have these very specific checklists of what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And one of the things you were not supposed to do is heal people. So Jesus says to the guy with the hand, stand up in front of everybody. And all the eyes lock on to what happens. Well, the story continues in the next verse. Jesus turns to the people that are hanging around, all those religious authorities, and he says, hey, Tell me, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Well, that shut him up pretty quickly. Well, the story continues, of course. Jesus heals the man that has the shriveled hand. He's very angry at the people because their standpoint said, hey, the Sabbath is the most important thing here. It's more important to keep the Sabbath than it is to heal this guy. That's their standpoint. That's how they saw the Sabbath. That's how they saw religion. Meanwhile, Jesus' standpoint is completely different. Jesus says, no, 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 no. The Sabbath is important, but healing this person who is in great distress is even more important. Same action, healing on the Sabbath, different standpoints. And it explains in part why Jesus and the Pharisees are often at odds with one another during the time of his ministry. Now, that's well and fine, but let me show you another passage from Scripture that strikes a little closer to home when we talk about these standpoints. It's a well-known story, and it comes from Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples are on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to Jesus and his entourage. And Martha had this sister whose name is Mary. And Mary sat at the Lord's feet, sat at Jesus' feet, listening to what he said. But Martha, ah, Martha, 
was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And so she came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, here again, it's standpoint. From one standpoint, well, quite frankly, Mary is lazy. She should have been in the kitchen helping with the meal. In fact, in the culture at the time, having an honored guest come to your home was a really big deal. It was not like, for example, inviting me to your home after services for lunch. That's not much of a big deal at all. But having Jesus, a well-known traveling healer and preacher, come to your home, that's a big deal. The whole village would have known about it. People would have been talking about it, both before and after the event. And Martha would have wanted everything to be just right. And so when her sister is over there listening to Jesus, sitting at his feet, Martha would have thought, I can't believe how lazy she is. So from one standpoint, Mary's lazy. But from another standpoint, Mary is trying to honor what is most important. Because Jesus didn't come to their home all that often. It's a special event. It's a special occasion. And in fact, often when people wanted to hear Jesus' teaching, they were part of a crowd who were trying to elbow their way to the front to be able to hear better or be able to get a glimpse of him. And now here he is in the home, and all she has to do is sit at Jesus' feet and listen. And so from this standpoint, Mary is not lazy. Mary understands what is important. She's trying to honor Jesus by giving him her attention. Just like the youth group over here is trying to honor God by sitting in the front. Because we all know that when you sit in the front, you pay more attention, don't you? They all just nodded, okay, for those of you who couldn't see me. And so there's a sense in which, from the standpoint of this youth group, Tyus's teenagers are trying to honor God by giving them their attention. They're not sitting in the front to keep them in line, although that is another standpoint. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, what Mary does in this story can be seen very differently based on your standpoint. Now, I think that's important because then, then there's Martha. Now, by the way, I would love to have heard the tone of voice that Martha used when she was talking to Jesus. Because depending upon how you read this story, or depending on your standpoint, the tone of voice that is used might be different. So, for example, there's the tantrum standpoint. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Maybe. Or maybe it's like this. Um, Lord, <clears throat> don't, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Would, would you tell her to help me? Regardless, from one standpoint, Martha is a whiner. From, from one standpoint, Martha is too focused on what is not important. In fact, Martha although it was written later on by Paul, doesn't understand what Paul meant when Paul said, do everything without grumbling and complaining. <laughs> but from one standpoint, Martha is just a whiner. It's kind of like if anybody is ever, or has ever been an elementary school teacher or you've been around first grade kids, first grade kids in a classroom think that everybody's business is their business. You know, first grade kids are like, teacher, Bobby's picking his nose. <laughs> teacher, Jill is coloring on the desk. Teacher, I have to go to the bathroom. Teacher, that wall is painted blue. Teacher, why is your hair so unkept? 
And oftentimes, first grade teachers have to say, you just focus on you. I'll worry about Jill and Bobby and the wall and my beautiful hair. You see, from one standpoint, Martha is a whiner. But from another standpoint, Martha is concerned about justice. Because let's be honest, as noble as it is for her sister to be here at Jesus' feet, the reality is Martha is slaving away. The reality is she's shouldering an unfair burden. The reality is that Mary should be helping Martha. And if you know anything about siblings, you know that siblings are super concerned about justice. (laughs) Super concerned. I I work with a, a gentleman who's got four kids, and I remember him telling me, after Christmas last year, I said, hey, how was Christmas? And he said, it was fine, except that my kids counted every single present to make sure that all of their siblings had the exact same number of presents. And I said, ooh, that's rough. And he's like, yeah. He said, they're at that age where they're just counting by number. He said, once they figure out the amount of money spent, it's going to be really bad. Here's the point. Standpoints often determine not only how you see the world, but oftentimes how you see scripture. But more than that, I think this little conversation about standpoints causes me to make a few observations. Let me start with this. Try not to assume the worst about the other person. In the story of Mary and Martha, Martha immediately assumes the worst about her sister. She assumes that her sister is intentionally trying to be unjust or intentionally trying to leave her hanging. She assumes the worst about the other person. And so this story, I think, is included in the biblical account in part because God wants us to understand that he understands us because it's really easy to assume the worst about the other person. In fact, oftentimes that's how it is. So I'm a teacher. Uh, And so that means I stand up in front of a class, at the front of a classroom, and typically lecture to them or have them work on things. And I know this will come as a shock to you, but sometimes my students don't always appear to be paying attention to me. For example, sometimes they'll take out their phones, and they will, I'm sure, read their Bible or something. Or, Or sometimes they'll be kind of doing something else with their laptop other than taking notes on the fascinating lecture that I happen to be giving them about interpersonal communication. I know that shocks you, but sometimes it does happen. And I remember last year I had a student in my class that walked in and took out a huge art pad. You know those large pads that are spiral bound and the student opens it up, sits it on the desk, takes out five or six different colored pens and prepares for class. And so I thought to myself, huh, okay. And so I start doing my lecture thing, riveting lecture, fascinating. Shayla, you're gonna hear about it. It's really good stuff, I promise, cross my heart. And this student is just drawing. And as the class unfolds, the student is beginning to draw this beautiful anime character, which I didn't know about anime, but that's what it was. And so I'm thinking to myself, huh, this student is not even paying attention to my class. So class ends, and students are packing up, and I saunter over and I say, hey, that's really impressive. Tell me about that. And she says, blah, 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 anime, anime, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, okay. And she said this, by the way, I have a bit of a learning challenge. And I've learned that I am able to focus on teachers if I'm able to do something else at the same time, like draw or sketch. I believe her. I believe her. 
In fact, actually, I've been teaching long enough that I came to understand a long time ago that if a student looks like they're not paying attention to me, it doesn't always mean they're not paying attention to me. Except the male students with the baseball cap that's pulled down real tight. But the point I'm making is, (laughs) the point I'm making is it's so easy to assume the worst about the other person. In fact, in Bible class this morning, we were talking about Hannah. There's a story that's told in the, the section of 1 Samuel about Hannah that I think is a really good example of how we human beings are so quick to assume the worst about someone. So Hannah is going to Shiloh to offer sacrifices, and she desperately wants to have a child. And so she's praying to God that she's able to have a child. And here's where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord, the priest Eli observed her mouth. Now, Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk. Translation, Eli's standpoint was such that he saw woman, moving lips, no voice coming out. She must be drunk. And so he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Just like that. And Hannah said, mortified. Oh, but can you imagine that? Can you imagine if I came up to you and said, hey, you know, when you're looking a little bit tipsy today, you know, you can do a lot of surgery, you okay? You'd be mortified. I would be mortified. And so Hannah quickly corrects Eli and says, Oh no, my lord, I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I haven't been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. She corrects his standpoint. Look, can we be honest? It is so easy to assume the worst about other people. It is so easy, especially to assume the worst about other believers. This is a priest serving the Lord in Shiloh, and his first assessment of this woman who is deeply troubled because she desperately wants to have a child is to think that she's drunk. Try to assume, not to assume the worst about the other person. Number two, assume the other person's heart is in the right place. Let's go back to that story about Mary and Martha and see what Jesus says when Martha comes to him and says, you can tell my sister please to help me. Back to Mark chapter, or to Luke chapter 10. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen the better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, we can perhaps talk about, if you want to, what's going on there, but from what Jesus says to Martha, I want to extract this idea that Jesus, in fact, sees that Mary's heart is in the right place. All that her sister Martha saw was this action of her sister at Jesus' feet, wrapped with a tent. But what Jesus sees is the heart. What Jesus sees is the reason why Mary is at his feet. Jesus doesn't assume the worst about Mary. In fact, what Jesus assumes is quite the opposite. He assumes that her heart is in the right place. 
And I think, again, that strikes pretty close to home. You see, I grew up at a church back in Phoenix, Arizona, where it's hot and it's okay. And on Sunday evenings, after services kind of winding down, someone would stand up and say, if anyone today could not partake of communion, it is available now. Come on down to the front and we'll serve you. And so people that could not make the morning worship service would trek down front and sit right here on these front pews and we'd have communion. And I'm telling you, man, <laughs> this is to my shame. But when I was going out, I remember thinking, you know, why wasn't she in church this morning? Was she sleeping in? Or someone happened to work off on Sundays and I didn't know about it. They'd come down now and I'd think, this person sleeps in every single Sunday. I'll bet they were watching a football game because the Cowboys were on. And I admit that oftentimes I, in fact, not only assumed the worst about people, I didn't even care a little bit about their heart. In fact, we used to call it in the youth group, the walk of shame. <laughs> it's like, oh, the shame of not being able to take communion on Sunday morning. And the fact of the matter is we do this on a regular basis. When I was in eighth grade, after I was baptized, I started passing communion trays and stuff around. And so I would stand here and I'd pass a tray down the aisle for the collection, and I would see who put stuff in the communion plate and who didn't. I would see who made a contribution who didn't. I'm thinking, huh, that guy's a deacon. He's not contributing. Huh. What's my point? My point is, in the story of Martha and Mary, Jesus doesn't assume the worst. Jesus, quite the opposite, assumes that the heart is in the right place. One of my grandmothers, Grandma Myrtle, lived over in Arkansas. Grandma Myrtle was very wise, and she said a lot of things that I remember. But one of the things that she said that I often think of is this. Quote, bless his heart. His heart is in the right place, and he's doing his best. She said that to me after a Bible class ended <laughs> at the College Church of Christ in Cersei, Arkansas. And, you know, the guy, was, he was doing his best. It was, it was a fine Bible class, but, well, bless his heart, it couldn't have been better. And my grandma, who by that point was probably in her late 70s or so, was so kind to him because she knew his heart was in the right place. When you meet people, when you listen to my sermons, when you sit in Bible class, when you go to work, when you go to school, do you assume that people's heart is in the right place? Or, or, like Martha, do you get offended? Do you get bothered? Do you think it's your job to police everyone and make sure? You see, I think the story of Mary and Martha reminds us that it's about more than just what we see. And so can we give people a break and not assume the worst about them? Can we make more of a habit of trying to see people's heart? Oh, but wait a second. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, time out. One of you, or maybe many of you, are going to say, but wait a second, Brian. What happens if you're wrong about someone's heart being in the right place? Because sometimes people really are what they do. Sometimes their heart isn't in the right place. What happens then? Because sometimes you do have students that are not following along in class. Sometimes people are not reading their Bibles on their phones during your class. In fact, they're shopping on Amazon or they're posting things to Instagram. And yeah, that happens. And so here's what I want to say about that. Most of the time, it's okay to assume that people's heart is in the right place because most of the time, whatever they're doing when their heart is not in the right place, it doesn't really harm you, does it? I mean, if Shaylee takes my class and she decides that she's going to text her former youth group friends all during my class, 
First of all, I can tell when you do that. But second of all, how am I really hurt? I mean, how really is Martha hurt because Mary was at the Lord's feet? Yeah, okay, fine. Martha had to do a lot more work in the kitchen that day. Martha had to shoulder a lot more burden. And in fact, yes, I'm sympathetic to the fact that Martha was not justly treated. But you know what? Welcome to a sinful, fallen world. Here's how Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 2. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But, but, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable to God. In fact, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Martha was suffering that day for doing good, and it's commendable for her. In fact, I would go so far as to say that that day when Martha was running around the kitchen trying to get everything done, this and that and this and that, she was actually being a blessing to her sister Mary, who for all we know might have needed to hear Jesus' words that day a lot more than Martha did. And so you're right. Sometimes I might assume that my students' hearts are in the right place, and they're not. Sometimes the other driver, you might assume their heart is in the right place, and it's not. The people you work with, the people you worship with, you might assume their heart is in the right place. Fooled you, it wasn't. Welcome to what it is to follow in the steps of Jesus Christ. Welcome to what it is to hang on a cross and say, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Or to put it differently, we are called to a higher, higher standard. So let me leave you with this. I wonder, how does your standpoint keep you from seeing people as Jesus did? And I wonder whose heart you need to try harder to see. Who at work, who in your family, who in this church family, you need to work harder to see their heart. Because I think the story of Martha and Mary, for me, is as much about standpoints and it's as much about hearts as it is anything else. And so this morning, I want us to just ponder those questions and listen to your own heart in that regard. And in fact, speaking of listening to our hearts, in a moment, Kyle is going to lead us in a song that asks God to listen to our hearts. And oh, isn't it ironic? Isn't it ironic that we're about to sing that God will listen to our hearts, and yet so often we are slow to actually take into consideration the hearts of those around us. And so in a moment, we're going to stand and sing together. And when we do, if this church family can be a blessing to you, would you let us do that for you this morning? Would you let us baptize you for the forgiveness of your sins? Would you let us pray about your life? In a few moments when we sing together, one of our shepherds, to receive you and talk with you, pray with you, baptize you. Comfortable for you, but don't let today slip away if there's a spiritual need that this church family can fill in you today. And so with glad hearts of praise and honor of God, let's stand together and sing.